Hello, I'm Ryan Boll, a Middle East and North Africa analyst at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by Worldview, RAIN's premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Sign up at stratfor.com. This is RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. Welcome to the broadcast. I'm Emily Donahue. China is hosting the 2022 Winter Olympics. It's touted these games as the first Green Olympic Games. They are played amid a tense geopolitical atmosphere, including a diplomatic boycott over the country's alleged human rights abuses, its relationship with Taiwan, disputed claims on land and sea, and a crisis developing at the Russia-Ukraine border. Here to talk about the geopolitics of the Beijing Olympics is Chase Blazik, Asia-Pacific analyst for RAIN. Hey, Chase. Hey, Emily. Good to talk to you again. You too. Let's talk a little bit about the Beijing Olympics. A lot of geopolitical stories have recently come out, including a lot of media reporting about American athletes playing for China. Could you dig into that a little bit for our audience? Yeah, of, of course. This is um, this goes back a long time in the Olympics with athletes playing for, for other countries. Usually they have some sort of family connection to them, so it's it's not... Um, totally out of the ordinary, but a couple of stories um, did bring about the the phenomenon of nationalism in China and, and put it on full display. Uh, there were two athletes, one who did very well and one who did poorly. They were both uh, former American citizens uh, who now played for the Chinese team and, and have Chinese citizenship as well. Uh, Eileen Gu uh, was a freestyle skier. She won gold medal uh, in big air events and was lauded by the Chinese internet. Um, rightfully so. She worked really hard. Um, and then the, the opposite end of the spectrum is Zhu Yi, um, she fell in figure skating and was ridiculed uh, pretty mercilessly on the Chinese uh, social media platform Weibo. Um, it was the top trending topic, over 200 million views. A lot of folks oh. saying some some not so great things, like you know, go home. This is if you're going to play for us, you might as well play well for us. Things like that. So it really shows the 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 upper and lower bounds of of nationalism in in China right now. And and, and I say it's nationalism because this is not. I would say normal um, for the Chinese internet. It's just in the last few years that Beijing has really been uh, nurturing this environment of the only real form of free speech on the internet is nationalism. And that can be positive nationalism, like in the case of Eileen Gu, or negative nationalism for Zhu Yi, where you, you ridicule someone for, for not being good enough, etc. You, you get a lot of nasty things said on the internet about any topic, so you can't take everything um, right. at, at full face value. But this was a particularly potent moment for the Chinese internet, and you saw um, the Chinese media itself stepping in, censoring conversations about this online, and the, the People's Daily, uh, one of the top outlets coming out, I believe it was Global Times as well, saying, hey, we should give her a shot. For Pete's sake, she's playing for us. Um, so really going against this nationalist mer- uh, narrative that, that Beijing has been nurturing for, for years now. Um, so it was a great instance of, you know, China wants to have world-class athletes. It's recruiting athletes. And that doesn't involve nationalists ridiculing folks when they fail. Um, so it's a very good and, and interesting case study uh, of uh Chinese media coming out uh, in, in support of, of the ridiculed and in trying to buffer nationalism when usually in the last few years, Beijing is trying to stoke nationalism. 
Chase, another thing that um, people are watching very closely is what's going on in Ukraine. I know President Putin and President Xi met and released a statement. What should we know here? Yeah, I mean, um, Putin was expecting a lot. And it, those who were watching the Chinese media knew that she was not expecting a lot from this meeting. Um, this is a bittersweet moment for China. Uh, Beijing wants to see uh, the U.S. and its its security groups like NATO uh, lose face, right? Show that this security umbrella that they, they hold uh, over Europe is, has got a bunch of holes in it and that maybe the U.S. won't come to the rescue or, or NATO. Um, so that side Beijing is pretty happy about. Um, the, the side they're not happy about is, one, that this is happening during the Olympics, right? This is China's time to show that it is a responsible player on the world stage. It is a, a potentially leading superpower and that doesn't involve um, showing even tacit support for invasions of other countries. And, and then the other side is a historical issue for China. This is part of China's narrative, or Beijing's narrative, I should say. Beijing has a history of not wanting to seem uh, hegemonic, not wanting to support invasions of other countries, uh, and that includes its partners. So uh, Russia is hoping to get support out of China for this, and China so far, including in the Putin Sea meeting, really only gave pretty general support. Yes, we should consider Russia's concerns. We don't do not want NATO to expand, etc. But they're not mentioning any support for any sort of full or even partial invasion. Uh, and this is something that uh, she would like to not have to comment on and just let Russia do what it will. And hopefully um, that brings China a lot of benefits without too many costs. Chase, this is the second time in 14 years that China's hosted Olympics. Uh, clearly, hosting the Olympics is very important to the nation that hosts, as you pointed out. But let's talk a little bit about what these Olympics mean for President Xi Jinping. Yeah, for him personally, it's another opportunity to show his governing prowess. Um, back in the 2008 Olympics, he was in charge of some of the final preparations uh, for those games. Uh, he was not president back then. He was just a member of the Politburo Standing Committee, but that was still a pretty high position. And his um, handling the Olympics well helped to vault him up to where he is now, which is president. Uh, and, and even now, he is closely overseeing these 2022 games, uh, and he wants them to show that he is this this strong world leader that can meet with many uh, other world leaders and facilitates win-win um, uh, foreign policy and cooperation on the world stage. That's that's why we've seen Chinese media coming out with reports that you know he's meeting with. Xi Jinping is meeting with uh, 30 plus heads of state um, who, who visited the Beijing Olympics. This, this shows Xi Jinping's personal prestige and conversely, the inefficacy of the U.S. led diplomatic boycott. You know, you said you weren't coming to our games. Well, look at us. We still met with tons of people and it's a big success. Um, and so this all comes ahead of October 2022 in which Xi Jinping is going to be selected for a third term, which is fairly unprecedented for China. Um, as the president. Um, and though he has consolidated power pretty well in China, um, both with his narratives of, of what communism means for China, his anti-corruption campaign, centralizing power in Beijing, uh, there are murmurs of concern within the CCP about Xi's approach to COVID, his approach to the economy, um, and the confrontational approach China's taking to the U.S., um, of course, the feeling's mutual coming from the U.S. So he wants to manage these games well to add one more reason why he definitely should be a third-term president and to 
buffer uh, or I would say defend against those criticisms that are fairly quiet, but they are there uh, in Beijing and in among the CCP of his uh, unique tactics in the last three years for Chinese politics. Chase, we've discussed those on other podcasts. Our listeners can, of course, access all of our podcasts at Worldview. But I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper right there. Um, There's really no question that he won't get a third term. And why are some of those things controversial? I thought that they were being met with full support. They are um, rhetorically heavily supported, and that is because of China's concept of democratic centralism, which is they debate within the Communist Party, they decide on something, and then they implement it full bore, and they do not have any um, large questions or deviations about, about the policies, right? So this is as things should be, right? The narrative should be centralized. It should look like everyone supports Xi Jinping, but we have had here and there... Uh, academics, former officials, sometimes even current officials saying, yeah, I totally agree with everything Xi Jinping's saying, but maybe this or that element needs to be tweaked, right? Um, Which in Chinese politics, and especially for Xi Jinping, who is quite sensitive to such slights, uh, you might as well be insulting him to his face, right? So these sorts of very slight nuances actually show there is some some deviation within the Chinese Communist Party. So events like the, the Olympics are critical for Xi Jinping to continue to show, not only externally, but internally. See, I am the only one who can lead China in these very difficult times. Look at what I've done. Chase Blazik is an Asia-Pacific analyst with RAIN. Thank you, Chase. Thanks, Emily. You can learn more about China's role as a driver of global geopolitics and its long-term goals. Subscribe to RAIN Worldview. Right now, we have a special subscription offer. Visit stratfor.com for details. That's stratfor.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.